0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com.
1: Today's scripture is from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Woo! Thank you, Verity. Great job. I think we found uh, somebody to read the scriptures every week. Wonderful with authority and power and confidence. My goodness, thank you so much. We have a king that has no rival. We have a king that reigns forever. And I can't wait to preach about that king this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Spend just a moment, prepare your hearts, and ask him to speak to you directly as he has promised to be with us because he's in us by his spirit. Father, just hearing the the sirens in the distance reminds us that we live in a world that is broken. We live in a world of pain. We live in a world that meets us and seeks to disintegrate us and break us down. But Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the light that shines in the darkness, that you are the hope that shines in the hearts of the hopeless. That your reality is the reality. Lord Jesus, that you are the way, truth, and life. That you are hope beyond hope. That you are life beyond any life we can possibly imagine or even desire. That you exceed everything that we look for in this world and even beyond. You are good. And so, we pray now that you would open our hearts and minds to your Word It is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword able to pierce marrow and go deep into our hearts and show us ourselves, the very self that we attempt to hide from and cover and put deep in the closet, in the back of the closet. But I pray this morning that you would call us out of hiding, that we might see who we really are, that we might see the hope that you really bring. Because of your power, we can can see the brokenness in our own lives and the brokenness of those around us. And we are not destroyed because, Lord Jesus, you lived, you died, you rose again, and you're coming back to make all things new. So, be with us now by your Spirit. Come in power. Speak to us through your Word. Transform us for your glory. Make us the community that you would Have us be that you were born in the flesh to make us. Lord, do it, we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Well, this time last Sunday morning, I was not here. Uh, I received a call at about 7.30 that uh, my godson was in the hospital and um, was not going to make it. He's 40 years old, and he's been battling illness for several years, and the doctors called the family in, and they called me, and so that prompted a very long day last Sunday, uh, on into Monday. And there is nothing, I don't think, any more unjust than death, because it not only robs the individual of life, but it it robs a wife of having a husband, (laughs) It robs children of having a father. It robs parents of having children. It's an injustice, and yet there is hope in Isaiah because, as our text says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. A shoot from a stump, a branch from the roots shall bear fruit. Why? because God is God. On most days on South Maine I see teenagers who no doubt have dropped out of high school selling candy up and down South Maine. One of them pretty much grew up in this church and I talked to him frequently. I asked him where he got the candy. He said with food stamps. <laughs> He's hustling He's trying to make it. He's doing what he's got to do. We saw reports last week that 1,500 high school students in the city alone were homeless last year. We watch the news, or when we watch the news, or when we read the news, what do we see? We see babies, we see children, we see teenagers being taken from us by gun violence. And it's in that context that Isaiah prophesies, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. Loneliness, isolation, depression, as we are swung out of the season of COVID, As we try to make sense of it all, as we try to understand the pain that's within us and what's happening in our changing world and our changing church, I watch the stock market because I'm getting to that age and I see and know that it lost at least 23% this year. And those in retirement are suffering. But, oh, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. There shall, a branch shall come from its roots, and it shall bear fruit. Ukraine is experiencing the destruction from Russia. At least 15 provinces have no power in the midst of winter. Food is scarce. Hope is scarce. And yet Isaiah speaks boldly and confidently there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and from its roots shall bear fruit. When Israel heard this, they were foreigners in a foreign land. They were in exile. They'd been ripped from their homes, they'd been ripped from everything familiar. They were basically slaves in a foreign place, they had no freedom. And Isaiah had the audacity to say, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. And what Isaiah is saying is, there is hope beyond hope, dear friends. There is hope in the midst of your pain. There's hope right where you are. Here's the problem with suffering. Here's the problem with the brokenness of this world and our own personal brokenness. It it, it attempts to isolate us and and make us hopeless. But friends, the hope of the gospel comes right to that point and says, there is hope when there is no hope with Jesus. There is power when there is no power with Jesus. There is light in the midst of your darkness. You can go forward because you have a God that holds you and protects you and is for you. This is the message of of Christmas. In Isaiah 9, Isaiah makes this prophecy right, you know, a couple chapters before, and he talks about how um, one day, someday, the weapons of war are going to be melted down into, into uh, tools to farm because we won't need weapons anymore because it'll be a, an age of peace and an age of peace forever. Why? Because for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, not the shoulders of a president, not the shoulders of some foreign king, but on our king. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of what? Peace. There is hope, dear friends. But this is a message of hope. This is a message of justice for the oppressed. This is a message of hope for the hopeless, not just so that we might rest in it, but that we might be about it. If you remember a few years back, our long march through the book of Isaiah, it starts out with these words in Isaiah 1 chapter 10. There's, there's a rebuke to God's people And this is how it reads, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Why? Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. uh, Plead the case of the widow. Friends, God's heart is to make all things wrong right. His heart is to take this upside down world and turn it back right side up. To, that our experience might line up with His truth and what we've been created for, that we might find home for once in our lives forever. This is the hope of the coming King. The hope is this that God brings this broken world and this fallen world into restoration. The main idea this morning is simple. Our king has come to earth to make all things right, and his people are to be a community of all things right. We are to be a people that are working toward the end of what he's working toward. We are to be a just community that cares about one another, sacrifices for one another, Doesn't just come and enjoy our personal salvation, but our personal salvation, the realities of our personal salvation move us toward one another in a powerful way that we might be a radical community in this world that is all about itself. We are a community that's all about each other and even the world. Let's look at it. This is the message of Christmas. (laughs) At first, we need to see the king comes to bring righteousness and justice to the poor and oppressed. Look at verses 4 through 5. With righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. It's interesting that this promise doesn't necessarily line up to what we long for, it's interesting that this promise is not that he's going to come and give us whole 30 Iron Tribe Orange Theory bodies. (laughs) He he doesn't say he's coming to make us filthy rich. It it, it doesn't say that, that he's coming to give us game like Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods. It says he's coming to bring righteousness and justice. Why is this important? It's so important that we understand what Jesus came to do and what He's all about so that we are about the same thing, but also that we understand Christ and Christianity. When I hear people say, Christianity is just not working for me, no, what you're saying is, is that Jesus is not, hadn't got in line with my kingdom principles and my kingdom objectives. Because what is, the reality is, he, he has come. He is king, so he sets the agenda. And our peace and our happiness and our joy comes in line when we come in line with his will. Not when we're trying to get him to come in line with our will. That's when we lack peace. Bruce Walkie, a famous Hebrew scholar. Um, there are a couple of people in here who may have heard of him. I know probably Wayne Denny has. Um, this is, what he, this is how he translates this word righteousness, that, that you know, Jesus come to make, bring justice and righteousness. He, he says this, when you see the word righteous and you see the word wicked, let me tell you what it means. The righteous person is the person who disadvantages himself or herself for the community. And the wicked person is the person who sees his or her resources as just belonging to them. Is that how the American church has defined righteousness? No. (laughs) We try to make it personal morality. When in effect, it, it's, it's about my neighbor. It's about how I treat my neighbor. I'm righteous when I'm not thinking about me, but I'm thinking more about my neighbor, and I'm sacrificing and laying my life down for my neighbor. That's what righteousness is all about. What Isaiah is prophesying is not that this new king is going to judge the poor, but he's going to bring equity and, and, and justice for the poor. One, will, have, one will, will not have too much, and one have too little. When Jesus takes the, the throne, there will not be the filthy rich and the absurdly poor, but there will be a willing, grace-motivated generosity. Hear me. And now, every time I preach this, some of our minds go from here to politics. I'm not talking about out there. I'm talking about in here. I'm talking about the community, the politics of the church, if you will the kind of community we are to be. That's what we're looking at here. And what Isaiah is saying here is that when the king comes, he is going to bring so much power to us, he's going to free us to the extent that we care more about each other than we do about ourselves. Paul gives a picture of this, of how this was working out in the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 8. Paul says this, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the law of the land. No, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. There it is. Jesus leveraged his resources for our good, your good. It's not that God comes to make us filthy rich, but God comes to free us from the need to be filthy rich. He comes to free us from from the need to have money to feel good about ourselves. We don't have to hoard. Why? Because our king owns the entire universe, and he's for us and loves us. We can rest in Him, and we're going to get to that kind of rest soon. Can you imagine contentment, love, mercy, freed to think more about others than ourselves? This is the community of shalom. Neil Platt, uh writes this. He said, The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in equity... Fulfillment and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We translate it peace, but it means a whole lot more than that. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are faithfully and fruitfully employed all under the ark of God's love. Shalom, therefore, is the way things ought to be. Shalom is complete and thorough peace. That's what our king has come to bring us, the opposite of peace. And I love what Isaiah does here in this passage is he, he, he shows us peace by contrasting um, peace with violence. Listen to these verses, verses 6 and then 8 through 9. The wolf will live with the lamb. What's wrong with that picture? the wolf loves to eat the lamb, (laughs) all right? The infant will play near the cobra's den. Are you kidding me? What are those parents thinking? They don't have to be protective. Why? Because there's utter peace between man and creation. The young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the of the Lord. There's, there's coming a day, and God is at work right now as He is ushering in His kingdom through His church right now. What He is after is He's after this community of peace. And if you think about, we can take this, we're talking about the poor and, and um, the oppressed, we have to go there and that we have to understand that it's not just uh, man's relationship with animals that needs peace, needs work, but it's man's relationship with man. What is poverty all about? Poverty is, well, let's just go this way. There, There are always enough resources. There are always enough resources where there shouldn't be poverty, and so… Poverty is the withholding, or the cause of poverty is the withholding of resources from those that need it by those that have it. Now, we're getting close. God blesses, God blesses yeah, you, you see, poverty is the result of, of basically hoarding. It's wealthy people hoarding. And all of it, many of us in here, 95% of us are going, yeah, those rich, wealthy people. Well, everyone in here, probably 99% of us in here are the wealthiest people in the world compared to the rest of the world. So, we're not talking about the richest person in your mind. We're talking about you and me. This is who this message is to. You see, hoarding wealth is committing violence against one's neighbor. That's not going to happen in the kingdom of God. God doesn't blame the poor for being the poor. Now, you say, well, Paul says, if a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. Right. But a person not working is not the cause of poverty. And the Scriptures um, do not browbeat the poor, but they condemn and and call the rich to repentance, which is what I just read in Isaiah 1 and 10. Um, And so we we see this all throughout the Scriptures. Uh, We see this, uh, that this is the heart of the kingdom, that the community of God's people is one in which we are sharing with one another. Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist comes, he preaches, he's baptizing people, and the crowd asked this question, and the crowd asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Do you have two shirts? You're wealthy. <laughs> this, is, this is what John the Baptist is saying. This is not rocket science. This is whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. You got a full plate? Well, you could get half of it away or maybe a fourth of it. That's, that is the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom principle. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said, okay, so how does this whole thing, how does this whole kingdom thing apply to us? Uh, Teacher, what should we do? He said, collect no more than you're authorized to do. So, he said, well, that's just capitalism. I mean, that's just smart business. Well, we got to figure out what the, how that applies. I don't, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know, but I know that we got to think about it if we're going to obey it. Collect no more than what you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, Now, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be content with your wages. This is the end to which King Jesus frees us. Now, imagine if we, the church, let's just say downtown church. Imagine if that was the community that we, that we really are. We would be a radical community of love that would stand out to the city, if not the world. So much more. Well, that's a whole sermon series. Jesus came to free us to this end. Then second this king, are we loving Christmas yet? Everybody ready to go Christmas shopping after, after the service? I'm sorry. We're just preaching uh, Isaiah 11 here. Uh, this, <laughs> there's good news coming, I promise. Uh, great news. Uh, and that's, that's pretty good news too. It's pretty amazing to see um, the vision of the kind of community God calls us to be. But number two, this king will also unite the nations. Um, Barry didn't read it because I didn't ask her to read it, but I'm going to read uh, verses 11 and forward. Or actually, oops. Yeah, that's right, 11 forward. In that day, the Lord will extend His hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of His people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathras, from Cush, from Alam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel, and gather to the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead the people across in sandals. What in the world is this talking about? It's talking about when the king comes, he is going to unite all peoples that are non-united. He's going to make enemies brothers and sisters. He's going to make those who naturally hate each other, love each other to the point that they are living in a just community, sacrificing for one another. Not blaming one another, not taking advantage of one another, not extorting from one another, but laying their lives down from one another. This is Matthew 24, and he will send out his angels, Jesus, with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from the end of heaven to the other. It's also, you say, well, this is just reaching, Richard. This is how the book of Isaiah ends. Chapter 66, and the last several verses, the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. Does that sound familiar? How about Revelation 7, 9? The the time is coming um, to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. You see, this is beautiful. The Bible begins in harmony between God and man and man and man, actually man and woman. There's perfect community. There's oneness. Why? Because we're made in the image of a triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, three persons, one God. How does that work? I don't know, but they really love each other, like perfectly. And we're created in the image of that oneness. That's why division destroys us. That's why division, any kind of relational division, is trauma to our bodies, trauma to our souls, trauma to our brains and our emotions. Why? Because we weren't made for division. We were made for unity. We were made for love. We were made for peace. We were made for sacrificing for one another, finding joy in, in lifting our neighbor above ourselves. That's what we were made for. And that is the end of all things, and that is the beginning of eternity. Why? Because the king has come for that work. This is God's work in the world. And friends, this must be God's work in the church. We we can't just go for convenience. We can't just go for what we think is best for us in the month. We've got to follow the king's objectives and the king's values. And the king's values is for the many to become one for the diverse to become one, for those that um, historically hate each other and maybe even oppressed one to be brothers and sisters, not just in the same room, but in real authentic relationship. This is the kingdom promised by God. This is the heart of Jesus. This is what he came to do. He set the captives free. We sang that this morning. Why? To do this work to be about oneness. And this is what we must work toward as God's people. I love what Paul says in Galatians 6.2. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. He didn't say, get along, and you'll fulfill the law of Christ. He said, own your neighbor's burdens. Do you know how hard that is? That's what I was doing last Sunday. I was taking the burden of my dying Godson on myself, and it hurts like hell, because it's not supposed to be. And you, you have a friend who's lost their job. You have a friend that's lost their child. We're not doing enough if all we're doing is standing up here praying, just offering a prayer and then going about our business. Are we getting deep in each other's lives to where we're carrying each other's burdens? Are we getting so deep in each other's lives that we really understand what each other is going through, has gone through, will go through? Are we getting that deep? You see, a reconciled world, a community or church, is not really a world in which we accept each other, one in which we sacrifice for each other. And that has to be the wheelhouse of the church. Why? Because of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment, his punishment brought us peace. That's how we are to live in this life. We are to live in this life, laying our life down for the good and the flourishing and the prosperity of our neighbor who we know is hurting. Yesterday, I put a need on the realm, and it was a big need, and within 30 minutes, that need was met. And this is somebody donating something of pretty big worth. And this is what that person said when I said, thank you so much. And we were talking. They said this. They said, I'm just glad we're in a position to do so. That hit me. I, mean, I didn't tell them anything about this, what I was preaching today. But that's exactly what I'm talking about. We have an extra car. We have an extra, somebody needs it, we give it. It's that simple. (laughs) Why do we do it? Because that's what Jesus has done for me. We don't need to have a TV network where, you know, we don't have to be Oprah. You get a car, you get a car, you get a house, you get a house, you get food. No, we do it quietly. Why? Because we don't need any recognition. Why? Because Jesus deserves the recognition because He's the one that has freed us to be able to do it. He's the one that gave us the the hands and the feet and the the strength to make any money we've ever made. He is the one that has blessed us, but why has he blessed us that we might give? Why has he put food on our plate that we might put some on somebody else's plate? This is what he has done for us. And then thirdly and finally, the king brings real rest. In that day… The root of Jesse, this is verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Man, I love this. Of him shall the nations inquire. (laughs) They're going to hear about this sign, and they're going to inquire about him, and his resting place shall be glorious. How many people are tired this morning? How many people are? There we go. (laughs) I am too hadn't been sleeping well for months, but oh, I've got to rest. That's what this passage is saying. The challenge of the real kingdom agenda of justice and equity and unity and and, and laying our lives down for our neighbor, it is exhausting, and sometimes it feels like it's too much. You know why? Because it is too much. You can't do it, and I can't do it, and God's not calling us to do it, God has not called any of us in this room to solve poverty or world hunger or racism or prejudice, but what He has done is He's called us to draw near to Him and do what He has called us to do in every moment of every day. We can't shoulder what God can shoulder, but if His church shoulders it together, progress moves forward. I love um, these words in that verse, who shall stand, basically the king to come shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Now, a signal or a signpost or a sign of what? It says his resting place shall be glorious. One commentator put it like this. He said, so the glorious church, which is to be is described under the image of an oracle to which all nations shall resort. Anybody want to go to a resort? His name is Jesus. And which shall be filled with the visible glory of God. When you see a sign that says sandals or carnival cruise, I hope your whole body starts relaxing a little bit. Oh yeah, I want to be there. You see a beach or a mountain or whatever your happy place, whatever part of creation you really love, a stream, your whole body is just drawn to it. That's, what, that's the hope of the gospel. When Jesus is, He is a signpost. He is put forth. When He is lifted high, we are drawn to Him. Now, the only way we're not going to be drawn to Him is when we think that when we don't accept who He is and what He's done for us. That's the only time that we're going to be repelled by him when he thinks that he's called us to work in his vineyard, when he's called us to be slaves, when he's called us to work for our salvation, when he's called us to prove that we're good enough for his love. No, he is a signpost of rest. He is the one that we are to rest in. Why? Because he came and he lived under the law. He obeyed it perfectly because he knew you wouldn't. And he went to the father and he said, here's my record. Now, credit it to Richard's account. And then he took all my sin and he, he put it upon himself and he literally suffered the wrath of his father for eternity for my sin and your sin. And he said, Father, it is finished. And so, by faith, as I receive Jesus, I am not only forgiven, but I am declared righteous in Christ, and nothing can separate me from His love from that point forward and forever. Why? Because it is finished. The King has come. The King has accomplished His work. And so, now, what my, my whole identity and my whole reality needs to be resting in Him, falling into Him, working not for His love, but out of His love. Working not for His forgiveness, but out of His forgiveness. Working not for that He might give me stuff, but, because, but working because He's already blessed me with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, so says Paul in Ephesians 1. The world just works harder, but we, are, we, we, we already know it's done. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for I am gentle. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. The newborn king came to heal the world, and we are to find rest in him. So, the question before us this morning, are you finding rest in your king? Are you resting in Jesus? Do you know what that means? Do you know what it means to rest in Jesus, to to literally delight in his arms? To be in His presence, and His presence and His love and His favor is so palpable to you that it's hard to contain yourself. That's where He wants you to live. Don't leave this room and say, Richard said we got to work for justice, so I'm signing up for 15 different opportunities. Unless you are really resting in Jesus, and that's where Jesus is moving you. I was walking by the river. I use this illustration so much because God just, just used the Mississippi River. I was walking early this morning. It was chilly, and I was not dressed near uh, warm enough. And it amazes me. It always amazes me how big the river is. And every time I have that realization, it's like, Richard, that's, that's the extent of my love and so much more. All that water all that water is just love, and you're just in the middle of it, and it is just pushing you down and washing over you and taking you where you can't even. You're just, you're just flailing in my love, and I hear God saying, "Do you believe that? Don't you dare go preach it until you do." Oh, dear friend, that is what resting in His love is all about. It's getting so overcome by His love and His presence that you can do nothing more than love His law and love His will, even though it feels like death sometimes. Why? Because the lover of your soul has given Himself for you, and His heart is for you to be about your neighbor. And out of that love, oh, you can take those steps toward your neighbor. You can forgive. You can love. You can fight for justice. You can be a just human being because his justice is washed over you. Come to Jesus this morning, friends. Come to the the, the newborn king, the only one that can give you rest. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the hope of your love. Thank you that you are the sign that doesn't say work harder. You're the sign of a glorious rest. A resting in which your visible signs of your your love is just overwhelming. Oh, God, free us this morning to see it. Free us this morning to swim in your love, oh God. Free us this morning to let go of the guilt and the shame and the burdens of our lives. That we might be a people of hope. That we might be a people of joy that we might be a people of laughter, that we might be a people out of that hope and joy and laughter. We are graciously and selflessly laying ourselves down for our neighbors. Oh, God, make it so right here at Downtown Church. For your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's uh, reach out your hands to receive the benediction, God's blessing on His people through his word. Dear friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Go in peace, dear friends.